Welcome to the Kindred Church Podcast, where we talk about God, faith, and real life. This is Daniel Childs. I'm the host of the podcast and the pastor of Kindred Church. To learn more about how to connect with our community, check out our website at www.kindrednc.church. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We're glad you've tuned in for today's episode. Now, let's talk about God. Well, hello and welcome to Kindred Church. It's so good to be with you if I've not met you before. My name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. Uh, If this is your first time to tune in with us at at Kindred, thanks so much for tuning in. We're we're certainly glad that you have. Uh, Okay, so here's the deal for today. I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news is that today we are kicking off a new seven-week sermon series that is all about sin. We're going to be spending the next seven weeks talking about the seven deadly sins. So you can just go ahead and and groan. That's okay. I know some of you may be thinking like, really, Daniel, seven weeks on sin? And and like over the summer, you know, this is supposed to be a season of fun and and relaxation. Why in the world will we spend seven weeks talking about sin? Ugh. Uh, That's the bad news. That's the bad news. Uh, The good news, don't tune out before you hear the good news. The good news is that this series is actually going to be really good. And I think you're going to find this really helpful. And I actually think you're going to find this enjoyable, uh, believe it or not. And and I, for one, am excited uh, about it. So uh, the good news is that the bad news isn't actually bad news uh, after all. We're going to have a great summer. This is going to be a great series. Now, today in the sermon, I want to try to do three things. I want to explain why we're doing this sermon series. I want to say a quick word about the first deadly sin, which is pride. And number three, I want to get you excited about the rest of the the series. And I'm I'm feeling a lot of pressure today because I know that if this sermon bombs, some of you guys are going to check out of church for like the next seven weeks. Uh, But I think I can uh, get you, if not excited about the rest of the series, at least interested enough to to keep tuning in uh, with us. So having said uh, all of that, let's take a look at our scripture for today. And this comes from Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 11 through 24. Uh, It says this, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterwards, the younger son gathered everything together and he took a trip to a land far away. And there he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? But here I am, starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Just take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and he went to his father. Uh, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting, because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost 
and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, to to help us see why we're doing this sermon series on the seven deadly sins, I want us to to spend today exploring this story of the the prodigal son. And I want us to take a fresh look at this. I know that this is a story that is familiar to to probably almost all of us. This is one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. But a lot of people don't know the context of this story. A lot of people don't know the situation that, that prompted Jesus to tell this story. And that context is really important for us to know as we think about how this story relates to the the sermon series that we're starting on the seven deadly sins. So a quick word about the the context here. Uh, One day, Jesus was out and about traveling around doing his ministry thing. And at this point in his ministry, Jesus had become famous enough that when he went through a town, when he went through a city, a lot of times a a crowd would kind of collect and gather and and start to to follow him. Uh, Some of these folks wanted to hear Jesus teach. Some of these folks had heard that he was like this miracle worker. So they just wanted to see something miraculous, you know, And, and that was happening on this particular day. Jesus is walking along, this crowd begins to form, and at a certain point, Jesus decides he's going to stop and he's going to do some teaching with this crowd. Well, Luke, the narrator who's telling us about this, he tells us that in this place where Jesus decides to stop and teach, there are some tax collectors and some sinners hanging around in that area. Tax collectors were some of the most hated people in this whole society. They were sleazy. They were dishonest. They made their living by stealing from their neighbors. And then sinners, in this context, that was a label that the the religious people put on other people who were immoral, who were not living in the way that the religious people thought that they should be living. Uh, So here's where it gets interesting. Uh, What do you think that the tax collectors and the sinners did when they saw that Jesus was stopping to teach right there in their little area in in that vicinity? Did the tax collectors and sinners run in the opposite direction? Did they slink away and and find a new place to to hang out? Well, no. Actually, Luke tells us it's just the opposite. Luke 15.1 says this. All the tax collectors and sinners, not a few of them, right? Luke says all the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. Why, Luke? To, To listen to him to listen to him. And the way Luke describes it, this was not like a one-off thing. Apparently this happened like everywhere that Jesus went. So I, I, wanna, I wanna emphasize this. Uh, what, what Luke is telling us is that Jesus was attracted to sinners and sinners were attracted to Jesus. I'll say that again. I wanna emphasize this. Jesus was attracted to sinners and, and sinners were attracted to to Jesus. And the reason why I, I underline this point is because I know some of you grew up in churches where you were taught that God hates sinners, right? That, that God condemns sinners. And, and so uh, because of that, you were taught that, that true Christians, number one, are not sinners, uh, or at least they pretend not to be sinners, and true Christians don't associate with sinners. Some of you were were taught, you know, and if that's the background that you're coming from, that may be one of the reasons why you groan at the thought of a, a seven-week sermon series on the seven deadly sins, because that to you probably sounds like a lot of guilt and shame and, and judgment and fear. And who wants guilt and shame and judgment and fear for, for seven weeks, especially over the summer, right? Uh, so isn't it interesting? 
Isn't it interesting that Luke tells us sinners were attracted to Jesus? They, they gathered around him. When, when Jesus would speak, sinners would, would lean in, that they wanted to hear what he had to say. So clearly, uh, what Jesus was not doing was piling a bunch of guilt and shame and judgment and fear on them, right? At least not in a way that, that tore them down. What, whatever Jesus was giving them was something that, that, that built them up, that they felt like they, they needed. So, so that was going on. Well, then Luke says, uh, the Pharisees and the legal experts, that is the, the religious elite, they, they see that, that sinners are gathering around Jesus. And, and what do they do? Are they happy about this? Are, are they supportive of, of sinners coming to Jesus? Well, no. They do what religious people so often do. They start judging, 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 judging. Luke says that, uh, that the, the Pharisees and the, the legal experts, they said, this man, talking about Jesus, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Disgusting. Well, a lot of times when Jesus would get criticism like this, he would just kind of ignore it. He would just shake it off, you know, like like Taylor Swift. Uh, but in this case, Jesus sees that these religious leaders ha- have misunderstood what God is like. They, they have completely misunderstood how God relates to, to sinners. And Jesus knows that this is too important to ignore. That this, this is just doing too much damage in the lives of, of people to ignore. And so in this moment, Jesus decides he's going to teach on what God is actually like. He's going to teach about how God actually relates to sinners. And that is what prompts Jesus to tell the story of the the prodigal son. That's, That's the context for this story. So having said that, let's take a fresh look at the story itself. It starts out like this. Uh, Jesus says, a certain man had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Now we got to pause there because when Jesus said that in the, to his first audience, they probably would have gasped. This doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but this is a big deal. And here's why. In that culture, typically, in order for a child to receive the family inheritance first, their father had to be dead. Their father had to pass away. And, and so when this son goes to his father and he says, uh, dad, get, give me my share of the inheritance right now. What he's saying to his dad is basically drop dead, dad. Uh, I'm done with you. I don't need you. I'm better off without you. Give me my money now because you are dead to me. You are dead to me. Well, uh, what, what Jesus wants us to see right here at the outset, uh, at the very beginning of the story, is that this son is a sinner. He's, a, he's, he's guilty of sin. And this is probably a good place to go ahead and, and give a quick definition of what sin is. Sin, uh, at, its, at its most basic level, uh, sin is anything that keeps us from loving God and loving others and loving ourselves in the way that God wants for us. Uh, we'll flesh that definition out and, and nuance it a little bit as we go through this, this series. But for starters, for today, uh, sin is, is anything that keeps us from loving God and loving others and loving ourselves in the way that God wants for us. So we can see then that this son is a sinner. 
because when he goes to his father and says, drop dead, you know, that is so disrespectful. That is so hurtful. Uh, he, he destroys his relationship with his father over money for no less. Clearly, he is not loving his father in the way that Jesus would want for him. This is like the opposite of love, right? So, so this, this son is uh, a sinner. Now, some of you may be thinking here, well, if that's what sin is, then yeah, this son is a sinner, but but aren't we all sinners? You know, because we we may not have told our dad to to drop dead like that, but but my goodness, like don't don't we all on some level have a tendency to to not love God and to not love others and to not love ourselves the way that God wants for us? Well, the short answer to that is yes, we are all sinners, as it turns out, and that's part of the point that Jesus is going to try to make with this story. Uh, so back to the story. Back to the story. Uh, the son goes to the father. He says, drop dead, dad. Give me my money now. Well, surprisingly, the, the father, in, instead of rebuking or, or condemning the, this, this son, the father collects the money and, and he hands it over. And after that, the son, he pulls together all of his stuff, packs everything up, and, and he leaves home. And he is never planning to, to come back. All the bridges with his family are burned at this point. So uh, he, he sets off on this journey. And Jesus says he goes to the, this foreign country. We, we don't exactly know where he goes. But the way Jesus describes it, it, it basically sounds like he heads off to Vegas. Because uh, Jesus says that he wastes his wealth on extravagant living. I mean, we can imagine like hotels and parties and maybe some some gambling and, and just buying stupid things that, that he didn't need. And the result of, of all of this was that almost overnight, the sun blows all of the money. I mean, all of a sudden, like it, it's just gone. His dad's whole life savings is, is just gone. Well, when that happens... The son is really up a creek because he now finds himself in this foreign country where he's all alone. He's got no money. He's proven himself so completely irresponsible that nobody wants to hire him. And in this horrible situation, he takes the only job that he can get, which is he, he hires himself to this farmer to, to go and feed this guy's pigs. And in this culture, in this society, that was like the lowest of the low. That was like the most repulsive, disgusting job imaginable, feeding pigs. And he wasn't making enough money to support himself. It was a really bad situation. And maybe the worst part of all was that, you know, you may feel sorry for this guy, but, but nobody else did. Nobody felt sorry for this guy because this horrible situation he was in was 100% his own fault. One day, uh, in the middle of, of all of that, this son kind of hits rock bottom. He has this experience where he's he's feeding the pigs and he, he's hungry because he can't buy himself enough food. And he has this moment where he seriously considers eating some of this nasty, rotten food that he's feeding to the pigs. And for whatever reason, as, as he has that thought, that's rock bottom for him. And he snaps out of it and he gets an idea. And he says, okay, I, I need to just go back home and I'll apologize to my father for the way that I've acted. And I'll ask if I can be hired back into the household as a servant, not as a son. I know I burned that bridge, but, but just to be a servant in my father's household, because that way at least I can make a living wage. And that's what he decides to do. He gathers whatever stuff he, he had left and he, he sets out and, and goes back home. Well, at this point in the story, the, the big question kind of hanging over all of this is, is like, what's the father going to do 
right? How's the father going to react when, when this son dares to show his face at home again? And, and in Jesus' original audience, like the assumption was that, that the father is surely going to reject the son and he's going to reject him hard. But Jesus continues. Jesus continues. Uh, one day the dad is out in the field and uh, as, as he's working, he, he happens to, to look up and he notices that somebody is, is coming up the road. And at first he can't tell who it is, but he squints, he looks a little bit closer, and, and finally he realizes this is his son who is, is now coming back home. And in this moment, Jesus says that the father is moved. And he is moved with what? Do you remember? Is he moved with anger? It's not anger. Is he moved with, with vengeance in this moment at the audacity of the son to, to dare show his face at home again? No. That's not what it is. Jesus says the father is moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion. Uh, immediately, when he realizes this is his son, he, he drops everything he's doing. And, and he takes off sprinting up the road. And, and when he gets to his son, he, he just like wraps him up in this big old dad bear hug. And, and then with tears of joy in his eyes, he welcomes his son home doesn't rebuke him, doesn't condemn him, doesn't reject him. He, he welcomes his son home. And in case we missed the point, Jesus goes on to explain that, that after that, the father ends up throwing the, the biggest welcome home party that this town had ever seen. And, and why does the father do all of this? Well, he tells us at the end of the story, the father himself says, because this son of mine was dead and now he's come back to life. Again, he says that this son of mine was lost, but now he is found. That's all that matters. He was lost and now he is found. Here's the point of this story. that The reason Jesus tells us this is Jesus is saying, look, that is what God is actually like that the father in this story that is what god is like and that's how god actually relates to to sinners god doesn't hate sinners god loves sinners that that's the point of this story god loves sinners in fact god is so head over heels in love with sinners that in jesus god has come into this world to be with sinners I mean, in Jesus, God lived and died and, and rose again to, to save sinners. Why? Because God loves sinners. God loves sinners. That, that's, that's good news for us, right? Because as we've already said, all of us are sinners. And, and this shows us that God doesn't hate us for that far from it. God loves us. God loves us even though we're sinners because, again, God loves sinners. If you, if you take nothing else away from this sermon, I hope that you will always, always remember this. God loves sinners. So how does all this relate to this new sermon series that we're starting today on the seven deadly sins? Well, uh, because God loves sinners so much, uh, God wants us to stop 
sinning. Because God loves sinners so much, God wants us to stop sinning. Not because God is judgmental, not because God has these rules and God is obsessed with the rules. It's because God is obsessed with us. It's because God loves us. And what God knows about us is that as long as we continue to sin, that's just doing harm in our lives. It's doing harm in our relationship with others and, and to others. It's, as a result, harming our, our own relationship with God, right? And, and so God cares about us and loves us. God wants us to, to stop. You know, th- think about uh, th- this is a good analogy. You know, in the story, uh, Jesus uh, kind of gives us this, this image of God as a, a parent. Uh, well, many of us are parents. You know, we, we can think about uh, a situation like this. Imagine that you're a parent and uh, I'm sure some of you have actual experience with this. You, you catch your child telling a lie. You catch your child telling a lie. Now, what's the loving thing to do in that situation as a parent? Is the loving thing to, to turn a blind eye and, and just ignore it? Well, if you do that, what's going to happen? The child is probably going to continue to lie. And, and if the child continues to lie, that's always going to undermine the relationship that you and the, and the child share, right? And, and furthermore, if the child continues to, to go through life lying, that's going to undermine just about every relationship that they have with anybody. And as a result, their life is going to be worse, And so as a parent, if you love your child, right, if you want them to have the best life possible, then the most loving thing to do is to confront them and to teach them to to stop lying. You know, it's a similar uh, example. Um, And for some of you, you've you've actually experienced this yourself. Imagine that you're a parent and you got multiple children. And let's say, you know, one afternoon you're, you're hanging out in your living room doing whatever. And at some point you look up and you see one of your children take a toy truck and smack one of your other children upside the head with the toy truck. In that situation, what's the loving thing for you to do as a parent? Again, you could ignore it. You could turn a blind eye, but that's not loving, is it? But because if you just ignore it, then your child is probably going to continue that kind of harmful, hurtful behavior. And not only are they going to hurt a lot of people, but if they're harmful and hurtful, they're never going to have the kind of relationships in life that you want for them, right? And their life is going to be worse as a result. So again, as a parent, if you love your child, if you want your child to have the best life possible, then when you see them doing something harmful like that, you're going to intervene and you're going to teach them to to stop it. Well, it's pretty similar with God. Because God loves sinners, God wants us to stop sinning because God knows that that our sin is harmful to us. It's harmful to other people that God also loves. And and as a result, that harms our relationship with God as well. So that's why, ultimately, that's why we're going to do this sermon series on the the seven deadly sins. Now, uh, this this, uh, seven deadly sins, this is a list that Christians through the centuries have come up with. And uh, it's a list of uh, essentially like the most common things that keep us from loving God, loving others, loving ourselves the way that God wants for us. And um, not only are these common, but we call them the, the deadly sins. And we use that word deadly because they keep us from living the kind of life that God wants for us. When we do these seven sins, it keeps us from the, the life that God created us for. And the opposite of life is death. So in, in that sense, these sins are uh, deadly. They lead away from life. And throughout this series, we're going to explore each of these seven. And, and the reason for that is we want to be able to name these sins. Uh, we want to be able to, to watch out for them. And we want to be able to resist them in uh, in our lives. In our lives. Um, because... 
they're harmful to us. Now, I want to emphasize, uh, again, this sermon series is not about guilt. This is not about judgment. This is not about shame. This is not about fear. Not at all. This sermon series is an opportunity for us to do some honest reflection and to, to try to grow and to try to live more fully the lives that God created us to live. That's what it's about. Now, I'll end with this uh, final point here. Uh, a quick word about the first deadly sin, which is pride. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have time to do a, a super deep dive on pride uh, today, but, but here's uh, briefly what I want you to know. That there are healthy forms of pride for sure. You know, I know it's, it's Pride Month, for example, right now. This is not a knock on Pride Month or, or anything like that. There are healthy forms of, of pride that are, that are good, but the sin of pride, the sin of pride at its root is when we have this attitude towards God that I don't need you, God. I don't need you. It's a little bit like the, the son in this prodigal son story at the beginning of the story when, when he rejects and, and rebuffs his dad. Uh, when we say to God, I don't need you. When we, when we say to God, uh, God, I don't need your care for me. God, I don't need you to save me from anything. God, I'm just fine being independent. You know, uh, A lot of times we, we live with this attitude, whether we're conscious of it uh, or, or not. But when we do, uh, that attitude is the sin of of pride. And I'm sure you can see how that attitude and that mindset leads us away from loving God, loving others, loving ourselves in the way that God wants uh, for us. And I think it's good for us to think about pride uh, as we begin this sermon series, because the truth is, if we approach this sermon series with the attitude of pride, then it's going to lead us to think that Nothing in this series really applies to us. It's going to lead us to think that nothing in this series really matters for us. It's going to lead us to think that we don't need God's help overcoming any of these seven deadly sins as they manifest themselves in, in our lives. It kind of gives us this attitude of, of denial, right? And so I want to encourage us today to, to check our pride and to, to be intentional and, and acknowledge our dependence on God to, to humble ourselves because if we do that and if we approach these, these next uh, seven weeks with, with that mentality, then this series is, is going to give us an opportunity to, to love more fully and it's going to give us an opportunity to, to live more fully the kind of lives that God created us to live. So with that, let me pray for us. Oh, gracious and, and loving God, uh, we are so, so grateful for your unconditional love for us, God. We're so grateful that even though we do fall short in different ways, God, that even though we do have a tendency to, to do harm, to, to not love you and, and others and ourselves in the way that you call us to, God, nevertheless, you continue to love us, Lord. And we're so grateful that because you love us so much, you don't just leave us in sin, but, but you call us out of it and, and you promise to give us the grace to, to grow away from sin uh, so that we can live better lives, so that we can have better relationships, so that there can be more love in our lives. God, we, we want that. And we acknowledge that sometimes it's painful to think about the ways that we fall short. Sometimes it's it's painful to think about the ways that the habits and patterns and attitudes in our lives lead us to, to be harmful, God. But we need to be honest about it. We know that. So we ask for your, your help uh, with that, God. Keep us ever mindful of your grace and your commitment to us that gives us the freedom uh, to, to be honest about our shortcomings without fearing that we're somehow going to lose your love and, and lose your grace in our life, God. We know that that's not how it works uh, 
uh, in part because of beautiful stories like this one of the prodigal son that you've shared with us to show us what you're like, God. So be with us throughout this series. Uh, we, we pray that uh, we would love more fully and live more fully the lives that you've created us to live uh, as a result of thinking through these seven deadly sins together, God. So we pray all of this in the name of the one who lived and died and rose again to save us from our sin. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, friends, just a few things here for you before we go. Uh, first, if you're new to Kindred, I would love to connect with you, but I need your contact information in order to, to do that. Uh, so tap the connect link in the description here, and uh, I'll um, be sure to, to reach out to you later this week. Would love to, to say hey. Also, if you're local, uh, we'd love to see you in in-person worship. I know online worship is great in, in so many ways, but there's really no substitute for uh, getting in a room and, and worshiping together with others in person. Uh, and then finally, be sure to check out this week's updates. Uh, it's under the uh, announcement link in the video description and that'll keep you up to speed and uh, engaged with our community uh, if and when you want to get more involved with us. Well, with that, friends, uh, remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week and may the peace of Christ be with you. This free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your giving changes lives, and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church. Just select Give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.